0: Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast, the best podcast in the world. We're talking about the Red and the Black Book 2, Chapter 37, discussion prompts, pinched from Schmoop.com. Julian's old friend Father Chelan visits him. The man calls him a monster. His old buddy Fouque comes and tells him he has a good chance of avoiding the death penalty in court since Madame de, F... Madame de Renal survived. Fouque also offers to sell everything he owns to bribe Julian's way out of prison. Nonetheless, Julian tells every lawyer who visits him that he tried to kill the madam and that he it was premeditated. If he lied, he could probably get off, but he won't. Oh yeah, it's very much the Albert Camus thing, if you've ever read The Outsider. Outreat said, Instead of proceeding, as most men do, from tender youth into crooked sticks, age would have endowed him with a kindness easily roused, he would have been cursed of his insane mistrust but is there any point to such empty predictions i'm wondering what on earth the narrator is basing this on what have we seen of julian that makes it at all likely that he would be kind and trustful is that why the narrator also refers to these as empty predictions in addition to his impending death despite all of this or sorry despite all of his many and major flaws i still kind of like Julian, I don't even know why, there is no justification for it. He's so awful, awful in so many ways, but he's such an entertaining character. I wonder if that's why the narrator has such a soft spot for him. So many of the characters in the book are enthralled with him. I think it's kind of funny that Fouke seems unfazed by Julian's attempted murder, but is uncomfortable that he doesn't want to see his dad. Jan Brunt said, For me, Julian is one of the great anti-heroes of fiction. He makes me think of Tony Soprano, Don Draper, or Walter White, characters that are totally detestable, but still hold an irresistible attraction for the reader viewer. Of the three I mentioned, I think he's most like Walter White because his charisma is inscrutable. Excellent analogies, says Swims to the Mum "Yeah, Fish. He's a bit of an antihero. Um... But those three you listed, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really closely compare him with any of those three. I see what you mean, but um, I think the the main difference is his youth in comparison to those three. You know, they those other three are well and truly grown adults, so they have to answer for everything they do with complete, um, and this isn't to discredit young people, but You know, they've got the wisdom of age. They don't have those overriding hormones that make us do crazy stuff when we're a bit younger. Whereas those other, um, sorry, whereas Julian, a part of it can be put down to like he's hot headed because he's a young man to some extent. Although that certainly doesn't excuse the things that he's done, you know, that's gone beyond just teenage angst. Uh, Swim said the mum He said Julian had no knowledge of their plan to transfer him to a dark, frightful dungeon. Fuchs' efforts forced them to leave him in his pleasant room. We visited a lot of castles when visiting Great Britain. Those dungeons were truly dark and frightful. Hmm. Well, I've never been to a European castle or the dungeons, but I have seen. The Aladdin cartoon by Disney, and I can remember the bit where they're in a dungeon, and yeah, it's pretty bad. (laughs) So if it's anything like that, that's what I'm going off. Let's read chapter 38, which is called A Man of Power. Her movements are so mysterious, and her figure so elegant. Who can she be? Schiller. The next day, the doors of the keep were unlocked very early. Julian was woken with a start. Oh, good God, thought he, here comes my father. What a disagreeable business. At the same moment, a woman in peasant dress flung herself into his arms. He could scarcely recognize her. It was Mademoiselle de la Mole. My dear wretch, all that your letter told me was where you were. Only when I got to verrières did I hear of what you call your crime, and that is really a noble act of vengeance displaying all the loftiness of the heart that beats within its breast. Despite his new reservations about Mademoiselle de la Mole, which in any case he had not very precisely formulated to himself, Julian found her wonderfully attractive. How could he fail to acknowledge, in her whole manner of acting and speaking, a nobility and disinterestedness far beyond anything a petty and vulgar soul could have aspired to. Again he thought it was a queen he loved, and it was with an uncommon elevation of thought and diction which that, after a few moments, he said, The future was delineating itself very clearly before my eyes. After my death, I had you married to Monsieur de Cruisnois, who would have married a widow. And the noble, though rather romantic, soul of this charming young widow, deeply shaken and converted to a belief in ordinary good sense by a portentous event with great tragic significance for herself, would have condescended to do justice to the very genuine qualities of the young Marquis. You would have resigned yourself to being happy in the ways that the world is happy, through deference, wealth, high rank. But as it is, darling Matilda, if your arrival in Bezacon is suspected, it will be a mortal blow for Monsieur de la Mole, and I could never forgive myself that. I have already caused him so much grief. The academician would say that he had nourished a serpent at his breast. Well, I will admit, I had hardly expected such a cool reasoning "'Such a concern for the future,' replied Mademoiselle de la Mole, half-angry. "'My may, my lady's maid, who is almost as cautious as you, got herself a passport, "'and I have posted down here under the name of Madame Michelet. "'And could Madame Michelet get in to see me here as easily as all that?' "'Ah, so you are still the superior man I chose. First, I ordered a hundred francs to the magistrate's secretary,' who pretended that my entrance to this keep was impossible. But having taken the money, the honest man made me wait. He raised objections. I thought he had the idea of cheating me. She paused. Well, said Julian. Don't be angry, my little Julian, she said, taking him in her arms. I had to tell this secretary man my name. He took me for a young Parisian working woman in love with a handsome Julian. Really, those were his words. I swore to him I was your wife, and I will have permission to visit you every day. The comedy has come full circle, thought Julian. I have not been able to stop it, and after all, Monsieur de la Molle is such a grand seigneur that public opinion will easily be able to find excuses for the young colonel who will marry this charming widow. My coming death will cover up everything, and he abandoned himself delightedly to Matilda's love it was wildly extravagant it was full of the grandest feelings it was everything most outlandish she seriously proposed that she might kill herself at this side after these first transports and when he had feasted on the joys of being with her julian again her spirit was suddenly seized with a lively curiosity she studied her lover and found him much greater than anything she had imagined boniface de la mole boniface 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 De la Mole seemed revived in him, but in even more heroical form, Matilda consulted the leading lawyers of the district whom she offended by proffering gold too bluntly, though they ended up accepting it. She rapidly came to this conclusion that a Bezacon, in doubtful matters of high importance, everything depended on Monsieur Abe and de. Frillier. At first, under the obscure name of Madame Michelette, she found insurmountable difficulties in getting into the presence of this all powerful congregationist. But rumours of the beauty of the young dressmaker who had descended mad with love from Paris to Bezacon to console the young Abe Julian Sorel began to sweep through the town. Matilda hurried round the streets of Bezacon on foot. She hoped not to be recognised, but in any case she thought it might not harm her cause to, cause to her. It might not harm her cause to make a great impression on the populace. In her delusion, she dreamed that she might stir them up to riot and rescue Julian on his journey to the scaffold. Mademoiselle de la Mole believed she dressed simply in a mode suitable to a grief-stricken woman, but her style attracted everyone's gaze. By the time that after a week of solicitations, she obtained an audience with Monsieur de Frillier, she had become the general centre of attention in Bezicon. However high her courage, the idea of an influential member of the congregation Was so linked, that was my phone, uh, in her mind with that of deep and calculated wickedness that she trembled as she rang the bell at the Bishop's gateway. She was hardly able to go on when she had to climb the staircase that led to the Vicar General's first floor apartments. The the solitude of the Bishop's palace chilled her. I might be seated in an armchair, and this chair grasped me by the arms, and I would have disappeared. Who could my maid ask for the news of me? The captain of gendarmes would be careful not to interfere. In this town, big town, I am all alone. At her first sight of the apartment itself, Madame de, Mademoiselle de la Mole was reassured. To start with, the door was opened to her by a footman in a very elegant livery. The salon, where she was asked to wait, glowed with that subtle and delicate luxury so different from vulgar magnificence found only in the best Paris houses. And from the moment she saw Monsieur de Frillier approach her with a pleasant and fatherly air, all her notions of atrocious crime evaporated. In his handsome face she did not even find any trace of that strenuous and somewhat rugged virtue which is so antipathetic to Parisian society. The half-smile, enlivening the countenance of this priest who controlled everything in Besacon, proclaimed the man of good society, the learned prelate, the capable administrator. Matilda could have imagined she was in Paris. Monsieur de Frelia needed only a few moments to lead Matilda to admit to him that she was the daughter of this almighty adversary, the Marquise de Le Mans. It is true that I am not really mademoiselle, madame Michelet, she said, reassuring all her habitual hauteur, and the avowal matters little to me since I have come to consult you, Monsieur, on the possibility of facilitating the escape of Monsieur de Frelia. In the first place he is guilty only on a piece of stupidity. The woman he fired at is getting well. In second I can give you fifty thousand francs cash down to smooth it over with the little people concerned, and can engage myself for that double for double that. In short, my gratitude and that of my family would find nothing at all out of the question for someone who could rescue Monsieur de la Vernay. Monsieur de Frillier seemed amazed at this name. Matilda showed him several letters from the Ministry of War that were addressed to Monsieur Julian Sarrell de Vernay. You will understand, Monsieur, that my father has made himself responsible for his career. I married him in secret, and my father wishes him to have a high rank before making public what is, for a a la mole, a slightly unusual marriage. Matilda noticed that Monsieur de Frillier's air of affability and gentle amusement faded rapidly as he heard these important revelations. A look of subtlety, mingled with profound duplicity, came over his face. The Abe... Was having doubts. Slowly, he re-read the official documents. What advantage can I draw from these strange confidences? He was asking himself. Here, at a stroke, I am on terms of intimacy with a friend of the celebrated Marshal de Fervax, all-powerful niece of Monsieur the Bishop Dash, who deals out of the Bishoprics in France. What I thought of as lying far distant in the future is suddenly here unforeseen, and it could lead me to the jail of all my desires. The sorry, the goal of all my desires. At first, Matilda was alarmed at the sudden change in the physiognomy of this powerful man, with whom she found herself isolated in a remote changer. But come, she said to herself immediately, wouldn't the worst thing have been to make no impression whatsoever on the cold con- centredness, on the cold self-centeredness of a priest sated with power and pleasures? Dazzled by the swift and unexpected rout of the bishopric opening before his eyes, disconcerted by Matilda's spirit, Monsieur de Frillier had momentarily dropped his guard. Mademoiselle de La Mole saw him almost at her feet, ambitious and nearly trembling with eagerness. It is all becoming clear, she thought. Around here, nothing is impossible to a friend of Madame de fervaques Feeling, despite a feeling of jealousy that still rankled sorely, she was resolution. She had resolution enough to enlarge on the fact that Julian was the Marshal's intimate friend, and that he met Monsignor, the Bishop of Dash, at her house practically every day. If a list of thirty-six jurors were to be drawn by lot even four or five times in a row from the leading inhabitants of this department, said the vicar-general, with a hard light of ambition in his eyes and emphasizing his words, I would think myself extremely unfortunate if out of each list I could not count on nine or ten friends of the most intelligent of the lot. I nearly always have a majority, more even than needed for a condemnation. So you will understand, mademoiselle, how easily I could secure an acquittal. The Abe... Suddenly he pulled up short, as if amazed at the sound of his own words. He was revealing things one never mentioned to the profane. Then, however, he is in his turn dumbfounded Matilda by informing her that what most surprised and interested Bezicon Society about Julian's strange adventure was that in the past he had inspired a grand passion for Madame de Renal, and had for a long time reciprocated it. Monsieur de Frilier easily perceived that this story distressed her greatly. I have found how to get back at her, thought he. There is a way, after all, of controlling this headstrong little lady. I was afraid that I might not be able to do so. To his eyes, her aristocratic and intransient manner vastly enhanced the exquisite beauty he now found almost pleading before him. He regained all his self-possession and had no hesitation in twisting the dagger in her heart. I shouldn't be surprised, he re- remarked airily, if, in the end, we were to find that it were, was from jealousy that Monsieur Sorel fired a couple of pistol shots at the woman he had formerly so much adored. She is certainly not without attractions, and for some time she had been seeing a lot of a certain abe Marqueno de Gion, a kind of Jansenist, without morals, as they all are. At his leisure, Monsieur de Filly voluptuously tormented the heart of this beautiful girl, whose weak spot he had now found. Why? said he fixing burning eyes on Matilda. Why should Monsieur Sorel have chosen a church if it wasn't because because his rival was celebrating Mass in it at that very moment? Everyone agrees on the boundless intelligence and the still greater caution of the lucky man you want to protect. What could have been simpler than to have hidden in Madame de Renal's garden, which he knows so well? There, with a the virtual certainty of being neither seen nor stopped nor suspected, he might have dealt out death to the woman who made him jealous. His argument, apparently so fair, so plausible, succeeded in undermining all Matilda's self-possession, her haughty spirit, thought imbued with the dry perceptiveness that passes in the great world, as faithfully representing the human heart, was not made to apprehend readily that joy in scorning all cautious caution which can be so intense for an ardent soul. In the higher ranks of Parisian society, where Matilda had spent her existence, passion only very occasionally divests itself to, of prudence, and it is only from a lodging up on the fifth floor that one jumps out of the window. The Abe de Frilair was now confident of his power he gave Matilda to understand, doubtless he lied, that he could bend the public functionary in charge of Julian's prosecution entirely to his will. After the lots had been drawn for the thirty-six jurors in the Assises, he would be able to negotiate directly in person with at least thirty of them. If Matilda had not seemed so attractive to Monsieur de Frilly, he would only have spoken to her so plainly at their fifth or sixth encounter. Alright, there we go, another chapter down. Don't know who that chapter was written by, but it wasn't the same author as the rest of the book, that's for sure. It's so funny when you just have these so different style chapters just in the middle. It's happened a lot in actually the Hemingway list where there's just a chapter where it's like, were they, were they really drunk when they, when they wrote that chapter or like the translator, if there's a translator involved, were they tired that day or did did they hand the job over to someone else for that one particular chapter? But this chapter, uh, that was that was a whole different style of writing from the rest of the book. There was so much obsolete language in that chapter, which is not characteristic of Stendhal's writing at all for the rest of this book. But um, sentence structure was full of double, triple, quadruple, um, like details. Like he'd say something, then say it again a different way, then say it again a third way, and, say, and he's like, "You've just said the same thing three times in a row." Uh, Which he doesn't do in the rest of the book. But in this chapter, it happened a bunch of times. It's so stark, the difference in style. I wonder if it was apparent to anyone else, or am I imagining it? You know, I never know. Have your say over at the Hemingway List subreddit. Thanks for listening. See ya tomorrow.